Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as always, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. Hey, guys. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Very well. Normally on our Every Other Thursday podcast, we try to keep it light by bringing in ideas for operators to improve their business, whether those ideas are big or small. But there's been lots happening today. For instance, the Steelite announcement in Homer Lachlan and Steelite getting together, that announcement was posted up earlier this morning. And so that's big news in our business. And of course, the ongoing COVID-19, that's really affected people in all corners of our industry. And I want to talk about those kinds of issues today. Those are the hot topics, if you will, for today. So with the landscape being what it is now, we're going to devote, really focus on those two issues. And we'll come back with Greg's big idea uh, next week in our regular roundtable. But I want to get some uh, general business out of the way. And for you new listeners, every other Thursday is our 30 minutes or so podcast where we showcase interesting tabletop related products and ideas. Usually today it's going to be more news oriented. And this week's episode of every other Thursday, as always, brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people and the places in the world of hospitality. So, gentlemen, let's start with the Homer Lachlan and Steelite announcement. What are your thoughts on that? Before we do that, Dave, I've got a special announcement I'd like to make to, to the team. What's that? Stolzl's just bought Newark, New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey. Yeah, I heard the, I heard the shares prices on Newark, New Jersey were coming down. and We got a very, very frugal. It's, it's a good buy. Frugal. Frugal. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always good. Newark, New Jersey. Uh, there weren't a lot of other bidders I heard on that one either. Yeah, one. I think there was one and a half. One and a half, okay. Anyway, Homer Lachlan's food service business and the Hall China business, food service business, is going over to Steelite. Jay, I want to start with you on the industry and the category stuff. And then, Greg, I know you're an experienced guy with other companies on acquisitions and how they unfold and sort of how that goes. So, Jay, what do you think the impact in the industry is going to be? Well, I think it's going to be all positive for, for both sides of that merger, you know, obviously, John running Steelite the way he is is putting together one of the most dynamic food service, you know, companies in the business, and the Homer thing fits right into it. I mean, I think it's a good, a good purchase. I think there's nothing but upside for him on that one. So I congratulate him, and you know, I, we wish him well. And I think you, I, I don't think there's any wishing in, involved. I mean, John makes it happen, and he's he's a great operator, good good guy. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously there's a lot of questions probably for people right now. And how do you go to market now? How will the what will the organizations do? What will the integration? Where will the products be made? If you look at the video that they put out, they specifically address the quality of products and the shapes and stuff. Because there's a there's a huge on Home Lockland, there's a huge installed base of business. So you you you've got to work hard to ensure that the product that you're going to be selling going forward is exactly like the product that you have out there. The part that I thought I found fascinating was both John and Liz McElvain, the head of uh, Homer Lachlan, both expressed the sentiment about how difficult it is. Ceramics business is a tough business to manufacture a consistent product. It seems easy. It's not. 
and it's a very organic process oftentimes and, and, and there are always changes. And when you move production to other factories, I know the customer base will be watching quality and the shapes and all that stuff. But, but John, John is a pro. His people are very professional. They'll make it happen or, or they wouldn't have done this. So, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with all that. I'm, I'm excited for our business because it means that there's lots of change going on. And Greg, when you were, I think, at Carry Foods, you were part of an acquisition team uh, there. And uh, tell us a little bit about what happens behind the scenes, maybe when you were at Carry. And I know Carry's a food product company, but the template for acquiring companies doesn't really change much. So how did Carry approach when one company acquires a portion or all of another? The template's pretty similar, I suspect. Yeah, I was worldwide marketing director for nine years at Kerry. And, and Kerry at that time, I believe still is, was an incredibly acquisitive company. And so we, we bought companies right and left, big and small. So what happens, I think that it, it may sound simple or simplistic to buy a company and, ingrate, and integrate it, but it's really very complex. There's the details and directions that people just don't even think about until they get into it. But in, in Kerry's case, and this might carry over to Steelite, is that after doing it, a template was created, if you will, where a team was created. They know what they're doing. They know what to look for. They know the pitfalls. Everybody knows their job, and they just go in, and they get that company. And it's and, and it's strategically, the decision has been made how, what direction you want to take it. And then the integration takes place. And it gave there's a lot of advantages for the acquiring company. For example, it gives a lots of career directions for people. They have places to grow into, like these new these new acquisitions, for example. And things like that are not really perhaps really on the forefront of why people when they look at an acquisition about what's happening, but all these kind of there is a there is a multitude of opportunities, but it is much more complex than, than people think. When you were acquiring, and you were there nine years, were you, throughout the whole nine years, were you involved in the acquisition process? Yes, yes. I was involved with the identification, the searching and identifying companies to, to acquire, but then was, then, then was uh, part of the uh, early acquisition. I loved it when you said, Carry was a very acquisitive kind of company, and they wanted to acquire a lot of companies. Give us an idea, and I, I, if you don't know the number, exact number, that's fine. Was it six companies or 60 companies or what that Carry acquired, do you think, in that more or less nine-year period? In that nine-year period, it was, it was probably probably closer to 40, 40 companies. And that was my division, and there were other international divisions, too. And the companies ranged mostly in size, revenue, size revenue uh, from $2 million or, you know, what, what were the size of the companies that you Well, the actual, the actual acquisition price ranged from everywhere from perhaps $10 million up to almost a billion dollars. Okay. So you had a, my, where I'm going with this is you, you acquired a lot of companies. They were obviously different size companies. And, and I suspect when you acquire a billion dollar company, it's a hell of a lot different than if you're acquiring a uh, three to five million dollar company or something like that. Three or four million dollar company. Well, sure, you know, the orders of magnitude are much bigger. There's a lot more touch points, if you will. But the template, if you will, you know, is still the same. Correct. Due diligence. and Yeah, let's look at the legal point of view. Let's look at manufacturing. Let's look at marketing. Let's look at HR. I mean, these are still the same buckets. What kind of a company is Kerry? 
Kerry is a company that uh, you eat their food every day and you probably don't realize really? it. In the United States, their biggest, their largest focus is food ingredients. So all of the big companies that you can imagine, General Mills, Heinz, Campbell's, Kraft, many of them are all using their ingredients. So they had a lot of food engineers on the payroll. Yes, yes. Yeah. Food scientists. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, Jay, one of the things I know there's there's probably lots of questions, certainly on the, the Homer Lachlan side and the Sealite sides about this this all these changes that have been announced this morning. There's probably questions all throughout our industry. What do you think the impact is on since it's being acquired on the Homer Lachlan food service brand and the Hall China food service brand? What do you think is going to happen to those brands now? Well, I think if they take the brands and they do what they seem to do really well, which is expose it to their customer base and that may or may not have bought that product in the past and then expose it to new customers that they're going to get in front of. And then with the distributors, you know, they have a high level of trust with the distributors. They service the distributors well. So to me, it's nothing but an upside for Homer. I mean, for both companies, I mean, it's as long as it doesn't become just a little tiny piece, it gets ignored, which it won't. So, you know, that, that can happen. I haven't had a lot of time to digest all this yet. But one thing that I like is, is that I think that there's a we've talked about landscape changing for a long time in this business. And this is the change that you speak about. But it also means that strong companies are going to get stronger with, with doing this. Now, it isn't guaranteed that they get stronger, but there's a better likelihood, I believe, that they will. Is there a strategic fit? I believe there is here. Uh, I mean, just on the on the surface, they did not bring over the retail wear, Fiesta wear product in terms of going to market in the retail business, but they, they are going to sell Fiesta wear on the food service side, as I understand it. So I think that Sealite's going to remain focused on food service, and that's a good thing. And I think there's an opportunity to bring some energy to those brands and, and a different vibe to them, if you will, that they haven't had in a long time. And that, and that's probably a great thing from a marketplace standpoint. And you're right about Steelite's ability to go to market, it, go to market internationally as well. Yep. Yep. And I mean, maybe we, we can't do it on this pod, podcast, but the next one, we should really talk about the dynamics of, the, of this landscape change. Because I'll tell you, I've been talking to our factory about it and talking to a lot of people that I know about it. And, and I don't think we even have a clue just how much of a change we're going to be facing. And, that, you know, the thing that, that, that scares me a little bit is that companies like ours, who are smaller companies, I mean, we got a great product. There's a lot of great product around. But, you know, one of the things that I've always noticed, we, we had all these conversations about service being a, a trustworthy supplier and all of the things that that means. I think that one of the things that will happen, which is obviously in Steelite's favor, is that if you are a world-class supplier and you know how to do the job, you know how to support the sales that you do, you know how to support the lines that you that you represent as the master distributor for all the things you don't make. My experience was when we started Stoltzel, as an example, we had just Crystal. Then we had Mepra Flatware. And after the first couple of years, we were doing pretty well with Mepra. We would have done a lot better if we had had pricing back then that was in line with the industry, which we didn't have. I understand now Mepra has stuff that's, you know, a lot more in line with, with with competitive pricing, you know, for the food service market. But one of the most asked questions that I used to get is, when are you guys getting into the dinnerware business? And so you say, well, what does that mean, Jay? Well, what happened was they were really happy with the way we handled our business with them. We serviced them. We There was no, if you had a problem, you didn't have a problem. You know, all of those things that we've talked about in past shows that, that we've been on here together. And I think, you know, when, when a Steelite has a line of products like they have with the support they have to back it up you know if you're a big distributor whoever you are 
you're going to probably want to buy more from them because that's why our customers were asking us when were we going to get China? Because I would say, why do you want us to do that? It's not what we do. They go, because, you know, you guys service us. We have confidence in you. And if you got into the China business and we needed China, we'd talk to you about it. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of small companies, all of us are going to have to do it better and better than we've ever done it before. It's going to get serious real quick. Yep. Yeah, and I and I think the interesting thing, Greg. I think one of the things that that I find interesting in, in times like this is all that stuff you learned in business school about strategy and all that stuff. You know, I mean, it, it's all true. It all comes really into play here because if you're making a, a an acquisition of a product line or company or brand or, or whatever, you've got to really go back all the way back to that uh, business school thinking and in in those theories they actually apply. I mean, is it strategically a good fit? You can't just jam things together. And are they going to go to the same customer base? Do they work with the existing product line? Can your sales organization handle it to get to get the product out there? What about the distribution base? What is everybody bringing to the party here? To, so you end up with the ideally one plus one equals three kind of a approach rather than a one plus one equals about, you know, one and a half. I think that's outward looking strategy is, is critical because I think a lot of companies depend upon what they think is going to be a big cost savings, you know, where you can eliminate a lot of duplicates. The backside side. backside. And from my understanding, looking at a lot of acquisitions, that savings isn't as much as people think it's going to be. You know, they think, okay, we can get rid if we have two people in HR, now we can only need one. And, you know, you go down that whole list and it just doesn't, you know, there might be savings there, but it's, it's most often less than anticipated. So that means that if you want this to work, it has to work facing outward. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That's a great point. The, the marketplace, I mean, it has to be upside rather than taking just ripping out costs. And I think that too often everybody goes, oh my God, look at the savings we'll have. I think your front side, top line growth is where you're going. Because what here's what I see real fast with those two brands coming over to the Steelite sales bag. I see them, number one, going into deeper into uh, uh, accounts, whether it be national hotel change, casino accounts, whatever, deeper than even Homer Lachlan has done a great job over the years of getting deep into them, but they've been battered by competition in the last probably 5, 10, 15 years. And, but they're going to be deeper now than they've ever been. And that's just here in the U.S. Secondly, internationally, Steelite can take them overnight into Europe, into Far East, Asia Pacific. And so I, I think that there's some real top line upside right away from that. And then finally, uh, yeah, sure, there, there may be some backside savings, but listen, that's not the reason to do the deal. It's got to be the front side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to really add some energy. And Jay, I think you said it right. This is just the beginning a little bit. This is going to really take take this whole idea of consolidation and, and companies getting together and aligning. We talked about it in our other podcast with Shannon uh, in a 60 Seconds with Shannon segment recently talking about brands and products, even if they don't, even if there isn't a formal acquisition, partnering, doing things to more together, realigning, things like that. And so that there is some benefit to both sides. So, yeah, I think it's a good deal for both sides. I'm really excited. I couldn't be happier for, for first of all, uh, Liz McElvain, and she's going to be able to focus now on the Fiesta Wear and the retail side. I know they have a guy, Rich Brinkman, who's done a great job over there in retail and uh, with that. And, and, of course, they've got licensing opportunities everywhere. And I'm also just as excited for John Miles and his team at Steelite because I think it's going to be a really a great thing for those people too, to be able to pull a classic, a really legendary brand out of their bag, Homer Lachlan. 
and Hall China too. I don't want to sleep on Hall China. Hall China's got a great reputation. It got a little uh, lost its focus a little bit in the last few years, but not not too much. And 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 it's but it had both of those brands are high quality, well thought of brands, and I think it'll be a great fit for them. For what it's worth, you know, you you know, someone like myself that watches the industry all the time, and you see a lot of acquisitions going on, you scratch your head and go. What was that about? But in this, yeah, I know. In this case, as a, as, a, as a complete outsider looking at it, you go, okay, that has a really good feel to it. It just totally makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, one more thing I would just want to add to it. I think Steelite, which you know, has, now this is not their first rodeo. I think the integration that you spoke about before, Greg, I think this will go up smoothly. They're close geographically, close philosophically aligned, it seems like. So I suspect the integration will go very quickly, smoothly. And here's the thing, the customers will, will like it better at the end. And that's really, that's really to me where the rubber meets the road. Is, is the customer, the buying customer for those product lines, are they better off now than they were yesterday before the announcement was made? And I think the answer to me is clearly going to be absolutely. Yep. So cool. Jay, any last thoughts on the, on this Homer Lachlan Steelite announcement? No, I, th- I think like like we've all said, I think it's a good thing. One of the things, you know, to Greg's point, I don't know how it works necessarily, but it's interesting to me that when you have all of these world class brands that come under, you know, one rooftop, so to speak. So, you know, we call that let's just call that rooftop the beast. How do you feed the beast with the right marketing direction, et cetera, et cetera, on all these individual lines that you know together as a a product mix that you present to the industry is great, but it's almost like you've got to manage and market those things to yourself and your the company called the Beast, so that they can then take stuff to the market that makes it makes it easy for everybody to understand. Because you know, when you look at the portfolio that Steelite has, I mean, I know from selling multiple products across my life in retail and in food service. I mean, I sometimes have gone in the stores and spent thirty minutes trying to get an operator to decide on a port glass. I mean, that's, and that's not a joke. I mean, you know, just try to get them wise. You know, you could spend an hour talking about Glenn Karen. How do you, how do you carve up your, your effective selling time to handle all of these things? And my guess is it, it, it might call, it might be that you have to make a lot of individual sales calls on the same rooftop customer to, to get to show them most of that product over time. You can't do it on one sales call, but it's going to be, it's that, that's one of the things that I always found interesting. How do you handle that? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you keep the marketing and the drive alive on one particular line when you're under that umbrella of all these world-class brands? You're almost competing with yourself all the time. My final comment on, on all this is we'll take a break and come back and talk about a little bit about COVID-19. But my final comment on this announcement is, to be honest with you, I, I think our uh, our industry has been sort of needed a jolt after these past few weeks. And maybe this is the right jolt. I mean, you just had the NRA show cancel and everything's been negative, negative, negative. I think here's some great positive news for the hospitality tabletop sector. I, I think we need that right now. So uh, anyway, I want to take a break. I want to come back and talk a little COVID-19. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, but uh, we want to kick it around a little bit. I wonder if it's as bad as uh, we're being told and all those things, but we'll be back in a few minutes. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. 
Okay, we're back, everybody. It's Dave here with Jay and Greg, and uh, we just got done hashing through some of the, the great pieces of the announcement from Homer Lachlan and Steelite this morning about uh, transitioning their brands over to Steelite, the food service brands. And now I want to talk a little COVID-19. It's the thing that's everywhere in the news. We're not going to give probably a lot of detail on uh, facts there because they're changing so fast, and you can find them on every website. Everybody's getting a little maybe even tired of COVID-19, but I want to talk a little bit about how it's impacting our industry. I know a lot of places are under lockdown. I want to address the issue of going to market. What, what can you do there during these times? And then I want to talk about how things, you know, what operators can do too. So Greg, you're in Chicago. Chicago is under a shelter in place, you said? Yes. What's the practicality of that? What's the ramifications of a shelter in place in, in Chicago? Basically, you're not supposed to go out unless you really need to. And then only, of course, to authorized destinations such as grocery stores. And even then, you know, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to keep your social distance. So life, life as we know it, has obviously changed tremendously. And I, so I'm in what they call the North Shore which is are the old suburbs north of Chicago along Lake Michigan. And so these are very old. They have little business districts, that type of thing. So within from my house, it's walking distance to numerous restaurants and coffee shops, et cetera. So, you know, what I, I don't mean to sound cavalier or dismissive. And everybody, I mean, all these operators – you know, they, they are dealing with, you know, tremendous problems right now, obviously. But, you know, I guess my message is, if anybody cares, is think small. Because what's happening is, is I walk by these places, keeping my social distance, of course, and virtually all of them that I know of have takeout. But in some cases, you wouldn't even know it. So in some restaurants, and because I'm really paying attention to this, from an industry perspective, as opposed to just a consumer perspective, is they'll have a, like a little small handwritten note in the window saying, you know, takeout is available, give us a call. When in fact, if it was me, put a huge poster in that window saying, you know, give us a call, and then have, a, then have an easel out on, the, out on the sidewalk. Now, one or two guys are doing that, but the majority aren't. and But these little things like that, I think, could make a huge difference. So I'm sure that people are just tied up thinking, you know, almost in, in, in desperation, thinking about next steps, employees, making payroll, paying your rent, it's all those things. Yep. But hey, focus on how to get people buying from you. Yeah, mar marketing in a COVID world. Yeah, you're exactly right, yeah, I'm, I mean, in my little town of York, Pennsylvania, I, I, my wife and I were talking about it the other day. It's exactly the same thing. I mean, it's, I saw one operation off of Route 30. They actually set up, you know, like a, a, a cover and had a banquet table there. And I don't know what they were going to do, but look, and they had take to go boxes and all of that stuff. And but but for the most part, all it is is either an open sign in a window, a, you know, a little electric sign or a you know, take out available, but nobody doing the big banners and all of that stuff. And I, I don't get it. I mean, Greg, did you see anybody that was particularly outstanding in that? I'll call it marketing, but you know, it's obviously uh, a very different type of marketing. But did you see anybody and any things that really stood out as, hey, that's a really a great idea for an operator to do? Well, I mean, it's, it's all these small things. And I didn't see one single operator that did all of them that I think they should. Right. So like one guy might have a huge poster in his window, but he didn't have, but he didn't right. have an easel out on the, out on the sidewalk. 
Other guy might have an ESO, yep. but then, okay, how, okay, and there's no phone number, there's no, you know, email address. How do I get a hold of this guy, you know? How about websites? What, what are people? Well, I, well you, it's funny, you bring that up. I went on a bunch of websites, a couple of restaurants you and I know because we've been in them. And even on their website, they don't even make a big deal of saying takeout available and showing the takeout menu. Exactly. I mean, these that web address should be huge in the window on these emails. Flyers here, put out flyers that people could walk by and take. Well, that's been a great session, guys. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate your input. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. We look forward to having you join us next week. Thanks again for coming and listening to Every Other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.